Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. So, so how's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. My name is Mark. My wife and I serve as the lead pastors here. <clears throat> it is a blessing and a privilege to have you with us. Um, if you're a little weirded out, by the way, my voice sounds, don't worry. It's not COVID. I just lost my voice this week. Um, I can still taste this disgusting lozenge that's in my mouth, so we know it's not COVID. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, and don't worry, I still think herbal tea is disgusting. So if you're a fan of herbal tea, don't worry. I won't drink any of yours. So um, <laughs> it's a good day to be in the house, amen? Good day to be together. Hey, want to just, um, once again, I know it was highlighted already in our video, but uh, we're calling some events this summer. Uh, we're we're going to try to fill this summer with some amazing events, some times for us to be able to connect together and to practice this commandment that we'll be learning about in a few weeks, um, which is Jesus' commandment for us to love one another as he has loved us, Amen. That's what we're called to do as believers, and so uh, we, we want to we want to give some opportunity for that. So we're going to have Summerfest. You're gonna you're gonna be seeing a lot of events coming uh, taking place this summer, uh, designed to help us uh, just come together as a community and be together. One of those is this one happening uh, on the 26th of this month. So just want to make sure you guys are all aware of it, so that you're you're here with us. Here's the the unique thing that you need to know about that wasn't mentioned in the video. Um, we are not going to be having service here that day. We're going to be having service out there that day. So we will be in the backyard. We're going to be on, a, on the new lawn that we installed last year. <clears throat> so we're going to be back there. We're going to be hanging out together. Um, so the service will be out there. Our kids will be all together with us. It'll be an awesome day. So bring a chair, bring a friend, bring a chair for your friend. And uh, we're all going to be gathering together out there. We'll have a meal together. We're going to party it up. Um, there will also be, I don't, uh, I don't think it was mentioned in the video, uh, there's also going to be, and we're letting you know now, the signups will go out, I believe, next week. Um, there's going to be a, uh, what is referred to culturally as a cornhole competition, which sounds wrong, but it's not. Um, so there's going to be that game going on back there as well. So find your teammate, get signed up, maybe use this week to figure out who you want to, uh, compete with. I do, I do know there are some people in our church that, that are, are fairly competitive at this game who might actually compete in leagues in town. You might want to do a little research, find out who those people are and pay them off to be on your team. Um, so it's, it's going to be a great day to be together. Uh, we'll have an abbreviated service together and then we'll, we're just going to, we're just going to have fun. We're just going to have a good time. Amen. Awesome. Um, let's go ahead and, and jump into the word. Let's, let's get into it. We're in the midst of a series through the gospel of John. Uh, we've been in John 15 for a while. I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about John 15. I'm also going to take some time to talk about why we've been in John 15 for so long. Um, cause I think it's important for us to understand some of this. So, um, if you've, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 15, verse one, we're going to be reading verses one through 11. Um, if I can get my controller to work, that would be awesome. Um, John 15 verses one through 11. Um, we read out of the ESV and when we read the Bible around here, we love the Bible. Amen. 
So when we read the, God's word, we stand for the reading of God's word. So let's go ahead and stand to our feet as we prepare to, uh, as we prepare to read God's word together. How many of you love your Bibles? We love the Bible around here. We love it, we love it, we love it. <clears throat> so, John chapter 15, uh, we're reading ESV. If you, if you, if you have that available on your, on your smart device, you might want to switch to that one. It'll be easier to follow along. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Let's read this. Jesus speaking here. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me, Jesus says. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray together this morning, church. Holy Spirit, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, God, that your word is alive. Thank you that it is living. Thank you that it is active. Thank you that it is, it is moving and shaping. Thank you, God, that it has the ability to tear down, but it also has the ability to lift up. And so we come to your word this morning begging you, pleading with you, hungry for you to feed us, hungry for you to tear down the things in our lives that need to be torn down. G grateful, God, that you are building up the things in our lives that need to be built up. God, we come to you today to hear your word. We don't come to, 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 to fulfill some religious obligation. We don't come to check off a cultural religious box that says we've done our good part today. No, we came here today, God, desperately, hungrily to hear your word, to hear you speak, to encounter you, to exalt and to encounter you, the living God. So come, come and speak. As you speak, God, we, 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 we ask that you would give us ears to hear that which you would say. What good is it if you speak if we can't hear, God? So we ask for ears to hear. But Lord, more than that even, God, we ask for hearts to receive. Yes, we want to hear, Lord, but we don't want to just, we don't want to just be receptive to what you say. We want to, we want to receive it deep down within our, 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 the, the fiber of our being today. God, let it transform, let it shift, let it change, let it do a work deep within our souls. So much so, God, that not only do we have ears, not only do we have hearts to receive, 
but that we would be a people with feet to walk out in obedience to what you say. Let us leave here fundamentally transformed, not by our works, but by yours. Not by what we've learned to do, but by what you have accomplished for us. Let us live the reality of the full weight of all that you are and all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? All right, go ahead and greet somebody around you real fast and grab a seat. Amen, amen, amen. See, this is why we have to have a party in the back, because you people talk too much. It's It's a good day to be in the house. It's a good day to be together. Today's a, today's an important day. Uh, not only is it an important day because, come on, it's Sunday, amen, and Sundays are important days, right? It's the day we've chosen to gather together as a, as a body of people, as a company of people, as the body of Christ. So it's always, Sundays are always good days. Uh, also, uh, you know, we got to dedicate a baby today. That is, by the way, my favorite form of church growth is babies. And some of y'all think that it's your job to keep doing that, so thanks. Um, <laughs> Um, my, my, my family and I are not contributing to that at all anymore, so thank you very much, all of you who are. Um, and uh, it's a good day because of that. It's also uh, a good day historically for the church. Uh, today is Pentecost Sunday. So, um, so good job raising your hands in church today. Um, if you've never done it, maybe try it today. You know, just practice Pentecost. Uh, no, today's Pentecost Sunday, the day, the day that the church was really born. This is the church's birthday. Uh, it's also kind of a, a big day in my, in my life because uh, 23 years ago today, my wife made a mistake and married me. So, um, uh, come on, she could have done way better. Um, but uh, uh, it's the only mistake she's ever made, and she reminds me of that. Um, uh, 23 years ago, my wife decided... It's funny, as... as I used to tell people how, how long I've been married, and they go, that's no way, you look so young. Now I tell people, and they go, oh, congratulations. Um, so uh, apparently pastoring a church takes it out of you. Um, but, but I just want to just say publicly thank you to my wife for 23 years of putting up with all of my crap. Um, and it's, it's made me a little, a little introspective today, if I'm going to be totally honest. And, and I started thinking about, with all of those things, right, baby dedications, it's Pentecost Sunday, it's, it's my anniversary, it's, it's, it kind of got me thinking about history and thinking about my life and my journey and, and really what's, what's been the driving force in my life in different seasons. I've been a, I've been a believer for, for a long time, so, so yes, Jesus is the driving force, amen, come on, like, like let's, yep, amen, like, and then, and then it's like, okay, 
on top of that, not, not, he's, he's underneath everything, right? He undergirds everything. He lifts up everything. He holds up everything. But there have been seasons in my life, I just want to be transparent, where, where, where specifically, as it relates to, to my, my calling in ministry, what drives me has been different in different seasons. And I'm, 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 I'm willing to be honest with you and say in certain seasons of my life, it was, it was to try to prove myself to people. In certain seasons of my life, it was trying to prove myself to myself. In some seasons of my life, it was trying to impress people. Other seasons of my life, I've been really, really uh, sort of obsessed with this idea that I was going to be used by God to save the world. Can I get an amen from anybody who was raised in a youth ministry? Come on, right? Like you went to youth camp, so you were going to save the world and all these words about your generation, and then you realize like the guy's been saying that for 30 years. Um, Some seasons of my life, oh man, plant a church and you'll find out sometimes your, your driving motivation is just to have service next week. Just people show up like that. I remember that was, that was a driving motivation in my, my ministry for a while. Like I hope somebody other than my wife and I show up to church on Sunday. There was a season where what drove me in ministry was really this, this merging together of our churches and making sure that that was done well and that people were cared for in the midst of all of that. And I'm going to share, in my own personal life, what really is the driving factor beneath everything for me right now is just being closer to him. I really don't have any other ambitions or motivations in my own private, personal life than to just be closer to him today than I was yesterday, closer to him tomorrow than I am today. That's it. It's gotten really, really, really simple and yet incredibly difficult. How many of you know when you, make, when you make one thing your goal, everything but that one thing becomes the detriment of that goal? And so that, that's, that's it for that. But, but it's, this, this, today's got me thinking about, this week has had me thinking about me wanting to make sure that I'm clear with us as a people as to what it is that, that I feel we are called to. What's the driving force for me now for us as a people? And so if you're taking notes we going to talk about liberation for a while. Today I want to talk to you about my aspiration for our liberation. I want to try to explain why it is that we have taken so much time, invested so much energy, uh, uh, waited in this passage for such a long amount of time because I want us to understand what do we do with the freedom that we've been given? What's the purpose? Am I just, am I just liking this? Do I just not know how to read any more of the Bible? Do I just not have any other sermons, so I just keep recycling this one? A, a little bit. But I've been doing that for 20 years, people. It's the gospel. You just recycle it in a new way, and you all keep coming back to hear it. I believe that your liberation, I'm going to be honest, my life right now, your liberation is my motivation. Us learning how to be sozo. I don't think we can be who we are and not be free. I don't think we can, I don't think we can it, it, fulfill the, the reality of who we have been called to be, who we are in truth, without being the totality of the freedom that has been given to us, that has been purchased for us, that has been gifted to us in Christ. As long as we are still bound up to one degree or another in some kind of bondage, be it, be it in, in practice, be it in our thinking, be it in our believing, I do not believe we can be who we're called to be. So my, your liberation is my motivation to get you to really believe that you're free. 
So what I hope you hear and see in these messages is not a license to sin, but, but rather the freedom to live fully free. As we've been, as we've, we've, we've been making right, right, this, this idea of abiding, this idea of being a branch, abiding in the true vine, careful for the vine dresser, destined to bear much fruit, is that's been kind of the drum that I've been beating. I, I hope that what you're hearing and I, as I'm calling you to abide is not like, hey, live like hell and still go to heaven. That's not my, that's not my message. That's not my heart. What is my heart? What is my message? Is that you don't need, listen, I've said this to you before, I'll say it to you again. Nobody in the history of anybody has ever needed permission to sin. Right? Like, 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 like y'all are doing a stand-up job of that without me telling you you can. Right? What we need is someone to stand up inside of us and say, no, you have permission to live free from sin. So my heart, my desire, my, my drive has been, my goal has been to help us live free from sin. Let's go to Romans 6. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. Romans 6, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. So the, the message of grace is not licensed to sin. Settle that once and for all. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Still live in it? Do you not know that all, who, all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Next verse. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen, you, you have died, if you are, I'm talking to Christians, I'm talking to Christians, I made this clear the last several weeks, but let me make sure I'm, I'm, I'm clear again. I'm talking to believers this morning. I'm not talking to unbelievers. If you're not a believer here, welcome, we're glad you're here, I'll talk to you at the end. I'm just being real. The reason why I'm preaching this way right now is because I'm tied to the text. We're Bible preachers around here, okay? So the text, Jesus is not talking, there's no unbelievers in the audience here. A lot of times, most of the time, I would argue maybe all the other times we've heard Jesus teaching, there's a chance, right, that somebody's not a believer. But here we know, like, like Judas has run away, he's got the 11 left, that's who he's talking to. So I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I can't teach this and then try to sidestep in other stuff. So talking to believers, listen, as a believer, you have died to sin. You cannot live in it anymore. Newness of life is yours to walk in. This is why, this is why we've, we've, we as a church have really been pushing into baptism. Not because we want to see, not, not, because, not just because we want to see a bunch of new converts baptized, but I am of the personal conviction. I'm going to put this on me. I'm not going to put it on any of the, any of the other elders. If you want to go ask them their opinion on this, you can, but I'm just just stand here because I got a microphone and tell you my opinion. I think most Christians in America need to get baptized again because a bunch of us never got baptized. We just got wet. And I don't care whether you were sprinkled as a baby or you went forward to the Billy Graham crusade or whatever and then you got wet. If, if you did not experience a union with Jesus' death and a union with his resurrection in your baptism, be it because you were taught poorly or be it because you just, you just thought wrongly about it, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I think, I, think, I think you should take our baptism class, 
We offer it once a month, and then you should let us hold you under the water till you die, and then bring you back up in newness of life, spiritually speaking. I say it, we hold you under till we're sure we're not, you're not going to sin anymore, and then we pull you back up. So I, some of y'all, we hold under a little longer, you know, like just, the better we know you, the longer you're going to get held under. So you might as well get baptized early in our relationship, that way, no, um, Quote, newness of life is ours. What I'm trying to get you to see is that you are called to live free. Jesus sets us free from sin. Jesus sets us free from sin. He, He really, really does. He sets us free from the pleasure of sin. He transforms our appetites. I'm here to tell you, if you're a believer, you do not have the capacity to live at peace in sin. Again, again, I, I, don't, I don't like going back to this, but just so that I don't get the emails, the, the best picture I know of the new creation life is the caterpillar transformed into the butterfly. Does a, does, can a caterpillar, come on, walk? Yes, it has legs, it can walk. I didn't realize this was an anatomy class. Yeah, caterpillars, they can walk. They kind of like, it's weird, but they can walk, okay? Caterpillars can walk. Can a caterpillar fly? No. A caterpillar goes through a, a transformation, a metamorphosis, a new birth, and becomes a butterfly. Can that butterfly fly? Can that butterfly walk? Does its ability to walk deny its capacity to fly? So your ability to continue to sin does not deny your capacity to live in holiness. So what I'm saying is, is he delivers us from the pleasure of sin. There's no more pleasure in sin for the believer anymore. It torments us. It, it, it racks us with guilt. God fills our hearts with his, his, his supernatural, super substance of his love. He delivers us from the pleasure of sin. He delivers us from the penalty of sin. Jesus declares on the cross, it is finished. Literally translated, paid in full. There's no more penalty for you to pay. Am I here to say that if you do stupid crap, stuff, if you do stupid stuff, I said stuff and that's all you heard. If you do stupid things, that, 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 that dumb, bad results are not going to exist in your life. I'm not saying that that's not true. Come on. If, if, if you get drunk in speed, a member of our church who's a police officer will pull you over and he will take you to jail. You guys didn't know we had a DUI cop in the church, did you? Suddenly you're going to drive a little better at night. <laughs> like, I didn't even know I was going to church. Um, so... I'm not saying that if, if, you, if you do ridiculous things, that they're not ramifications. What I'm saying is that we are freed from the fear of penalty for our past sins. Amen? We're free. You're free. You're free. This is why 1 John says that, that, that perfect love casts out all fear because, because when we don't know we're loved, we fear we're going to be judged, it says. But when love has its work in us, come on, we, we know that we, we, don't, we don't have to fear God because we don't have to worry his judgment there because Jesus has freed us from the penalty of sin. But he also, so he freed us from the pleasure, he freed us from the penalty, he also freed us from the power of sin. Sin need have no authority in your life. I don't know who keeps needing to hear this, but you're just going to hear it until you believe it. You are under no obligation to ever sin again. 
Whoever told you in some weird, jacked up, twisted scripture way that you're just, you know, you're just going to continue to sin forever until you die hasn't read the totality of scripture. You can be, you are under no, oh, no, no obligation to sin ever again. As long as you believe that you will, you are sinning by faith. Because of what you believe, you are acting out that belief in your life. Jesus frees us from the pleasure, from the penalty, from the power of sin. He also frees us from the very presence of sin. I believe as we live out the truth of Jesus' freedom given to us from sin, as we live out by faith, we begin to experience by faith the very absence of the presence of sin in our life. Not, not, listen, not because of our discipline, not because of our behavior modification, but by faith. Because of his grace, come on, freedom becomes a reality in your life. I want to give credit to where credit is due. These four things I, I, I stole in name from A.W. Pink, one of my heroes, one of my favorite authors. A.W. Pink, if you want to read more of his take on this, it's a little booklet. You can find him on Amazon. It's called A Fourfold Salvation. Here's what I want to let you know. I don't think Pink takes it deep enough. Pink is still stuck in a somewhat religious mindset, and so he, he for one, says that, well, the presence of sin is, is, is never going to be gone in your life until you die and go to heaven. If that's true, heaven saves you. Jesus doesn't. But, but I want to give credit to where credit's due in case anybody else reads Pink, which I know none of you do. I didn't want to get, I didn't want to get in trouble for plagiarism, so I stole that from him. So I'm not trying to give you a license to sin. I'm trying to give you freedom from sin. But the truth is, the truth is, the truth is, that's really not my goal. It's not my driving fact. It's not the thing that drives me. It's not the thing that motivates me. It's, it's, it's not, I'm not just trying to get you to live free from sin, but I'm trying to get you to live fully convinced that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And I'm trying to get you to believe that now. Not, 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 not tomorrow. I'm not trying to get you to believe it about that person that you think is just the best Christian you've ever met in your life, which would be my wife. I'm not trying to get you to believe that about for somebody else. I'm trying to get you to understand if you have repented and believed in that very instant, you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are as righteous as God is righteous. And here's what I need you to get. That is regardless of your performance. That's, let me say it another way. That's regardless of your report card, your religious report card. Anybody else grow up, come on, in, in a type of thinking that, that you were handed a religious report card by, by the religious people you were you know, in, in your life? And you had to kind of like, you know, check up on yourself with your, your religious, you know, duties? I, I, remember, I remember different preachers talking about this idea of, of that, that, you know, life is like, you know, and when we get tempted with sin and life and difficulties, it's like taking a test. And you sit down at the table, and you know, if you're a Christian, Jesus is there praying for you. Some of them go a little further and say, like, no, you're taking the test, and don't worry. If you're a Christian, you still got to take that test. But don't worry, don't worry. Jesus will help you remember the answers. I'm here to tell you that the gospel is this. You go, you take the test. You walk up to the teacher to hand her your test, and she goes, oh, I'm sorry, I already have your test, and it's an A+, because the guy back there named Jesus already took the test for you. You are 
as righteous as God is righteous. And I hope that offends all the religious people in the room. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21. Second Corinthians five, 21. Do we have that one? Second Corinthians five, 21. For our sake, he made him, that's he is the father, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So that in him, we might become what? Read it, read it, read it. Some of God's righteousness, a part of God's righteousness, able to sample a little teeny weeny little bit now and then later get the, no, we have become the righteousness of God. As much as you believe Jesus took on sin, you, come on, take on his righteousness. Here's the problem. We fundamentally misunderstand righteousness. Because if I, if, I, if I sat you down and I said, what do you think righteousness means? Greek word righteousness, Greek 1343, it's and, and most of you, most of you would say righteousness means right standing with God. Right? That's what, that's what I was taught. Righteousness means right standing with God. The problem is that's not at all what righteousness means. When you, when you look at the word, and I would encourage you, encourage you, fact check me on this. Look up righteousness, dikaiosune in, in Greek. Look it up in the Strong's Concordance, G1343. It doesn't mean right standing with God. What it means is the state of him who is right. And, and by right, we don't mean the opposite of left. This is not like a knock on all of the squirrel-handed people in the room, okay? Like if you're left-handed, it's fine. My favorite person in the world is left-handed. It's fine. You, you're, well, you're welcome to be left-handed. But, but, but that's, it's not saying right as in the opposite of left. It's also not saying right as in correct to having the right answers. The word right here doesn't mean, uh, uh, doesn't mean it, clearly, right? Let's make sure we're, we're together in this. It doesn't mean a political leaning. It doesn't mean behavior. It doesn't mean any of this. What it, what, by right, what it means. By, by right, it means the state of one who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, dikaiosune, literally means the one who is as he ought to be. Right as in true to substance. The inward and the outward matching. Being righteous is about you being who and how he designed you to be, not according to external expectations or, listen to me, internal influences. We, 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 got, we, got, we got both kinds of people. We got people that, that try to say they are who people say they are. They try to conform to cultural standards and norms. And they say, well, that's who I am. But then the cool thing now is to say, no, I am who I think I am. I can self-identify as whatever I want. And, and what the gospel comes, what righteousness is, is saying, no, I'm not what the world's trying to make me. I'm not what external forces are trying to make me. I'm not what my own internal drives are trying to make me. I am what he desired and he designed me to be. And his righteousness is about me receiving the freedom to be that. Free from external, free from internal, free from all of that. I can be who I ought to be in him. Romans chapter 6, verses, verses 17 through 18. You're going to get a lot of Romans from me today. It says, but thanks be to God 
that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Understand that. This is, this is why I'm so committed to teaching this to you. Because you will not live to the reality of the righteousness that is yours unless you've been taught it. My good friend says we can only live up to the reality of the teaching that we believe. And having been set free from sin, we learned that one already, right? You have become slaves of righteousness. You, you, when you're in him, which is the whole point of John 15, amen? Being in him and him being in you. When you're in him, you cannot help but be who he's made you to be. You stay in him long enough. Come on. All that other stuff gets purged out. I am, I, am, I am shocked how little I care about what other people think of me. But I'm more shocked how little I care of what I think of me. Because for years, I, I said this to y'all, and, and, and in, in, a, in an inferior sense, I still believe this. I, for years, I've told you, like, I hate being around me more than you hate being around me. But here's the thing. Even that's becoming less true. See, because righteousness is not about some religious standard. It's not about right behavior. It's not about right thinking. It's about being, come on, in him who we are called to be. I'm trying to get you to believe. And by believe, I mean all the way down in your gut. Come on. That Jesus really did what he said he did. That he really has not only set you free, but given you access to the same righteousness. Just as much as God is who he's supposed to be, righteous, you are as you are supposed to be. Come on, come on. Gets real quiet when I start talking about this because people are like, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say amen to that. (laughs) You are as righteous as God is righteous. You are a slave to that righteousness. We don't like that word slave anymore, do we? We don't like it at all. It's the word that needs to be there. It's the word that needs to be there. Listen to me, it's the word that needs to be there. Because just, listen to me, just as much as, as, the, as the horrific mi- things that come to our mind when it comes to slavery in the past, what we need to understand is that same level of influence and control, righteousness, come on, now has on us. It's the right word. It's designed to offend us. It's designed to make us uncomfortable. Slaves do it. Come on. I'm trying to get you to believe that as much as Adam screwed everything up, Jesus fixed it. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, I'm just because just I'm with friends. I think Christians have more faith in Adam than they do in Jesus. Because I hear all the time, well, you know, we're all just born into sin. We're all just, we're just struggling with sin. Okay, well, I was born again into not sin. I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not, according to scriptures, I'm no longer in the family of Adam. Amen. It's irrelevant. I'm, I'm in Jesus' family. Amen. He's my Adam. I don't have to worry about that. I'm trying, this is, this is what drives me, come on, is to get you to believe, to convince you that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that Jesus makes you as righteous as Adam made you sinful. 
But the truth is, that's not really my goal. It's not really my goal. My goal really isn't to get you to be free from sin. My goal really isn't to get you just to believe that your righteousness is of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not just trying to get you to believe that you're righteous. I'm trying to get you to function like a son of God in the earth. I'm trying to get you to function, to think and to behave like God is your dad and he's left you here to do his work. That's what I'm trying to get you to see. That's my, that's my real goal. I'm trying to get you to see that, that, that when Jesus, listen, listen, when Jesus in 15 talks about you bearing fruit, that's what he's talking about. I'm trying to get you to see that, that when Jesus says that, that it's, it's, it's time for us, come on, to, 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 to bear fruit as we abide in him, that what he's talking about, beloved, is us being, come on, representations, representatives of God, being the sons of God in the earth. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elemental princi elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons. So that means all that stuff they talked about at the right time, that's already past tense. Because you are sons now, you were adopted. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Listen, listen to me, listen to me. We've got to get to the point where we acknowledge our sonship. This word adoption, I, want, I always want to touch on this because in, in, in our understanding, we, we, have a, we have a genetic understanding that was not was not aware, was not a part of the conversation in first century biblical writing. So when we talk about adoption, we go, yeah, 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 that's like a legal thing, right? You become legally a part of my family. I even would say I love you like a part of my family, but really genetically, I know you're not really mine. But the, the idea of adoption, you can do this if you, it takes a little bit more work in, in Greek, and I don't have time to, to get into it, but but if you, if you get down into the root of the word adoption in Greek, the word Paul uses here, what it really means is to, okay, track with me, it's to find a son who is out of place and put him in his place. The understanding, the idea, and, and, and this is modern as well. I, I've talked to parents who've adopted children that, that talk like this, where they say that they, they met a child and they went, I know, I know that we're not biologically related, but you're mine. I had, I had a friend who was a, a traveling evangelist, and, and, and he, he was called to singleness. He was a single, single guy, 
amazing, powerful, God, God used him in amazing ways in evangelism all over the world, and he, was, he went and, and, and spoke at a large crusade in Thailand, and, and he was there, and he was preaching, and he was, people were getting saved, and, and one of the pastors uh, that he was meeting with and, and, and talking with said, hey, we, we run an orphanage, you would like to go see the orphanage? He said, I'd love to go see the orphanage, and he said, I walked into the orphanage, and I'm seeing all these kids, and they run up to me, whatever, and then I, I heard a baby, he, this is his story, he said he heard a baby crying in the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the side of the room, and he walked over to the baby, and he picked it up, and he said, I don't know what happened, but I realized I picked up my daughter. He literally moved to Thailand, lived there for almost a year to go through all the paperwork so that he could take his daughter, because he said, I couldn't, I couldn't get back on the plane. This is the idea. Literally, the, 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 the idea of biblical adoption is what we know of in the story of the prodigal son, which is the worst named story in the Bible because it has nothing to do with the, pro- the, the hero of that story is not the prodigal son. Right? The hero of that story is the faithful father. Amen. Right? We, should, we should give him billing credit on the, on the billboard, right? So, so when the son, the, the Bible says that, that the son came to himself, he realized he was out of place. He was adopted back into the family. See, what I'm telling you is this, that when, when, when Paul here tells us that we've been adopted into the family, it's we have been restored back to the place that he designed us to be in. You're adopted. You're put back in your proper place. You are made righteous. You, you see the connection? You're made right. You, you, are, you are as you ought to be. You're not, they, see, religion will tell you, yeah, 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 you can be right back in right relationship with God, and you can, be, you, can be, you can be adopted by him, but you better realize that you don't deserve to be there. No, 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 you are right where you're supposed to be. He puts you right where you're supposed to be. Everything, everything is done so that where you are is your place. This same text, Galatians chapter 4, is what eventually would lead us as a church to Liberation Day, where it talks about expelling Hagar and Ishmael, Hagar being the picture of the law, Ishmael being a picture of our self-effort. It all starts with this idea of us being delivered from elementary principles, of us being given to being sons of God. But you need to understand when I talk about being sons of God, is sons do what their fathers do. We are to learn how to exercise the divine authority given to us by our Father as his sons. Come on, Jesus has promised power to his people. Jesus has promised answered prayer to those who believe. And yet, if we're going to be honest, that is not a reality in the Western American church. I know that's not going to make me any friends. The best, the best most people who are obsessed with this have is pretending like their prayers are more effective than they are. But even the level of effectiveness that is real is not what we have been promised. It's not. Look, I think it's right and good for us to do this, but, but just, just track with me, for, just give me a little bit of rope. A hundred people come forward to get prayed for, one gets healed and we throw a party. I think that's right and good to do. But it's a pathetic place for us to stop as a church. It's a pathetic place for us to stop as the people of God. 1% success rate. I'm just going to tell you, for me, not good enough. Not when Jesus says, whatever you ask. You abide in me, there will come a point where what you're praying isn't even what you're praying, it's what I'm praying, and you better believe that that's going to take place. 
My question for us is how many of our big brother's prayers didn't get answered? And if we're supposed to be sons like he's a son, how many of our prayers are supposed to get answered? Could the fact that our prayers are not being answered, could this be tied to our lack of what I've called the Abba awareness? We don't believe he's our father. We don't believe we're his sons. We're still going, listen, we're still going off of our report card. We're still, we're still, we're still not expecting him to answer us because, well, deep down somewhere inside, I know I probably need to learn something. Probably not good enough. I'm probably not smart enough. Most people don't like me, so it's probably not going to, it's just, you know, this is just the way it goes for me. Until we know him as Abba, we will never know and experience ourselves as his beloved sons. And until we know that, I don't think we'll ever feel confident enough to do business in his name. Our world, listen, is filled with people filled with people who are desperate for the supernatural power of God in their lives. You meet people every single day that are desperate for something more real than this tangible world that they live in. And yes, listen, yeah, okay, just yes, 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 they need the gospel. Of course they need the gospel, but I'm just going to make sure I don't have any more friends. They don't need the neutered, pathetic, powerless gospel that we preach. Because here's the gospel that most of us preach. You should really pray so you don't have to go to hell. Your life's going to be hell from here on out. Because before, you could sin and you were cool with it. But now, we believe God, Jesus delivers us from the pleasure of sin, but we don't believe he delivers us from the penalty of it. Okay, maybe we believe, maybe the pleasure, sure. Maybe the penalty, sort of. And, but he certainly doesn't deliver us from the power of sin. And he certainly doesn't deliver us from the, from, the, from the presence of sin. So, hey, you should be a Christian so the rest of your life, can, you can just feel guilty about all the sins that you're going to do. Anybody want to come forward? Isn't that the gospel we preach? Isn't that the gospel we believe? When we believe that we cannot be free, then the gospel we present to others is, hey, come be not free with me. I do feel way more guilty about the sins I do now, though, so that's, that's a benefit. What if we actually... What if we actually lived like people for whom Christ's work was effective? I dare say our gospel would be slightly more effective. I dare say our gospel would actually be transformative. Because you see, sonship is not just about us getting our prayers answered. Sonship is not just getting our prayers answered. It's actually getting the cry of creation answered. Romans chapter 8, verses 19. Do we got that one up there? Romans 8, 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly. It didn't want to be subjected 
but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is literally crying out not for God to be revealed, but for you and I to be revealed as his sons. Because who is given authority over the earth in creation? We were. It's our responsibility. We were given the responsibility of taking care of, managing, tending to the garden and the world. And God, in his goodness, has not removed that dignity from us. He says, no, 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 it's still going to be you who does this job. I'm still going to use you, despite the fact that, yes, you rejected me. Yes, despite the fact that, yes, you as humanity rebelled against me, I'm still. My redemption, my reconciliation is so complete that it is even reclamation, and I'm restoring you back to the place that you rightfully held in the beginning. Because, come on, you are righteous. You're back to being who you were, who you were built to be, who you were designed and who you've been desired to be. So you're back in that place. Now go ahead and fulfill your role. So I'm not just talking about like, hey, hey, we got to be sons of God so that we can like, you know, like, like heal people. I'm saying like the dirt is screaming and it's not going to shut up until we stand up and reveal, be the revelation of the sons of God in the earth. Until we stand up and answer that cry. More is at stake than just you getting goosebumps in worship because you know God loves you. I hope you know that God loves you. I'll scream God loves you at you as much as you need me to. But I hope you know that that's not the end of the story. There's, a, there, there's, there's, there's something underneath all of that. Can, can I, okay, I should be able to get an amen from everybody, even if you're not a Christian in the room. The earth, as it exists in, in experience today, is broken. Things are not as they ought to be. What I'm telling you is the solution is in this room. The solution is in this room. I, th I, th I think that spiritually, absolutely. I also think that practically. I, I don't think that the world, that the, the lost world is the ones that are, that are designed by God to bring about the, 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 the renovation of the earth. I think it's supposed to be the sons of God. So much more on the line than we realized. Me telling you that you are a son of God is not about me trying to, trying to like get you, your ego built up. It's not about trying to get you to be prideful. It's actually the exact opposite. It's trying to humble you to actually do the job that we're called to do. Trying to get you to believe that you are a son of God of God so the earth can have its cry answered. But the truth is, not really what drives me. It's not really my goal. It's not really what, why I've been holding us in this place of John 15 for so long. All of that's good, all of that's necessary, all of that's important, but I'm really trying not to get creation to see you but I'm trying to get the cosmos filled with the glory of God. Why do I talk to you about you being free so much? Because all of the cosmos is designed by God to be a theater for him to stand on. 
And I believe this. I believe part of the symphony of the cry of creation is in response to a fundamental truth that we sing about a lot here, that, that Christians read about a lot, and I think we don't, we don't let it actually go down deep enough inside of us. We say this, that God is worthy to be praised. That, that there is a glory, there is an honor that is due to him, right? I think creation itself gives God the glory that is due him for being creator. Because he, he created all things, seen and unseen, past, present, and future. And, and so, so he receives the glory for that. You can look out, anyone, right, can look out upon creation and see its beauty, its majesty. You can look as macro or as micro as you want, and you will, you will be left in awe of the, of the beauty, the majesty, the wonder of the design of the creator. Whether it's in the, whether it's in the tiniest particles of an atom, or whether it's in the, the fact that, that, that the best guess we have right now to the cosmos, this is amazing to me, is that this is the best guess, is that according to scientists, that it is infinite nothingness. And that that infinite nothingness is expanding. Before you jump up and down like, that's what the evolution is. Shut up, just, just listen to that. From the best evidence we have, or like as far as we can see out, like everything just keeps going forever, and it keeps getting bigger. How do you make every, how do you, infant, how, I, does that not make anybody else's brain hurt? I know I was homeschooled, but give me a little credit, right? No matter how we look, right? Like, like we, we, the more we look down, we're like, oh, this is the smallest thing, and then we like bust one open, like, oh, there's a bunch of crap in there. Like, it's a molecule. No, there's a bunch of atoms. And we're like, oh, no, there's stuff inside the atoms. And now as we get down to that, we're like, nope, there's little strings that keep mouse around. We don't even have the ability to even figure out what those strings are. Some of y'all are like, strings? Yeah, I know. It's weird. <laughs> so God gets glory for being creator. I think he even gets glory for being the sustainer of all things. I was reading, I was reading an article. I, I, I'm a nerd. Okay, you all know this. I was reading an article several years ago. These scientists tried to figure out what it was that held the, the particles of an atom together. Because gravity is irrelevant at that. You guys realize that. Gravity is irrelevant at that small of a scale. At, at a quantum scale, there is no gravity. And what they found was there was a, listen, there was a frequency, a vibration, a sound. What does scripture say? All things are held together by the sound of his I think God gets glory for being the creator of all things. I think he gets glory from being the sustainer of all things. I think the glory that is still due his name that he is not receiving the full merit of is that he is the redeemer of all things. And until we stand up and say, not only, come on, not only am I, come on, not only have I been, have I been freed from hell, not only have I been allowed to go to heaven, not only all those things, but I have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Come on, I am a son of God, and I'm going to stand on that stage, not so I get glory, but so that he gets glory, because not only is he creator, not only is he sustainer, he is the redeemer of all things. And until then, creation is going to keep screaming. And the world is going to keep looking like it is broken.
You are a branch abiding in the vine, cared for by the vine dresser. This is what it means to bear much fruit. It's what it means. When a tree grows and produces fruit, what's in that fruit? A seed. And what's in that seed but the capacity to fill creation with another example of that tree? Our lives are supposed to be fruitful, not so that we can go, look at all the fruit that I have. (laughs) Jesus is not trying to make you any fruitier than you already are. (laughs) He's trying to fill the earth with his glory. And that is what drives me. That's why I'm going to keep yelling at you. That's why I'm going to keep telling you you're free. But listen, if you need a pastor to tell you every week that you're a rotten scumbag because you still sin, there are dozens of them in town and an internet full of them, and I will happily help you find one. I will. No. This is is honestly where I'm at. I'm done talking to people who want to hang out with Hagar and have a bunch of Ishmaels. I don't have time for that anymore. Because in my opinion, as long as we got a bunch of those hanging around, we, we, this house will never be filled with the Isaacs that we're supposed to be filled with, the joy and the laughter, and will never be effective. I would rather have, listen, listen, I would rather have one Isaac than 20 Ishmaels. I would rather have a house filled with laughter but if you, if you need me to, to, to stand up here and tell you how bad it is to go after lovers less wild than Jesus, is that really what we need? Do you really need me to remind you that sin sucks? Do you, re- do you really need a pastor to get up week after week and just tell you that, like, you know what? You messed up this week, but if you do better this, this next week, then maybe Jesus will love you a little bit better. I'm I'm done making excuses for myself and for others to live anything less than as sons of God in the earth. I'm going to give my my life, my breath, my everything to see an army of people gathered who genuinely believe in the fiber of their being that they are sons of God. And, and, and here's, here's the truth. I, I, I'm not trying to chase anybody away. You need to hear that. But I'm just trying to be straight with you. I, I need to let you know where I am. This is what drives me. This, this is what I pray for us. This is what I think for us. This is what I long for us. This is what I'm preaching at us. I don't... I'm not trying to give you license to sin. I'm trying to give you freedom from sin. I'm not just trying to give you freedom from sin. I'm trying to get you to see that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not just trying to get you to see that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm trying to get you to see that you are a son of God. I'm not just trying to get you to see that you're our son of God so that you can know you're a son of God, but so that the creation can have its cry answered. I'm not just trying to get creation's cry answered. I'm trying to get the creation, all of the cosmos, filled with the glory of God. It's kind of a big deal. 
Somebody asked me this morning, well, you, you have a voice, you, your voice is all messed up. Should, should you be preaching? I can't do anything else today. Yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, it's worth it. This is, this is it for me. All the chips are on the table. I got nothing else. I have zero backup plan. But I believe that God's doing something in this place. And people are coming awake. People are waking up to the reality of who they are in him. And I'll, I'll, I'll give every breath to that. Whether I have a voice or not, let's stand to our feet. Hey, non-believer, I told you I'd talk to you at the end, and here I am again. You thought I forgot, but I didn't. I said that I'm talking to just Christians this morning. It's true. All of that was for believers. All of that's for Christians. If you're not a, if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you've not repented and believed the gospel, that all, all that stuff, I, I'm here to just tell you, you're, you're, you're not the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not, you are not as you ought to be. None of that's true for you. Here's why I can say that without breaking down inside, because my extremely exclusive family is the most inclusive family in the world. See, Jesus, in accomplishing all that he accomplished, didn't just do it for, us, for, 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 for the people that, that, that figured out, come on, how to live right. The Bible says that literally Jesus took away the sin of the world. That what he accomplished was effective not only, come on, for me, but it could be effective for you as well. And so this, this, this offer of, of righteousness, this offer of freedom, this offer of sonship, this offer of inclusion is available to all who the scriptures say will repent and believe. Those are, those are Bible words, I get it. Maybe you don't kind of use those words. Most of us don't use those words in our daily life, so let me explain what they mean. To repent simply means to admit and abandon. To admit the, 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 the wrong things that we've believed, the wrong way that we've behaved, and to abandon those, to let them go, to stop looking to them for who we are, to stop looking to them for the joy in our life, to stop looking to them for some sense of safety or security, to let it go. And believe then is not a call to mentally agree with something. It's not a call to acknowledge the truth of something. No, the word in, in, in the, the Bible that's believe literally means to embrace something, to hold on to it, and to entrust our lives to it. So as we repent, as we admit and abandon, we then turn and we embrace and entrust Jesus. We trust him, come on, to tell us who we are. We trust him to fill our lives with joy. We trust him for our safety, our security, our stability. We look to him, we turn to him, we rest in him, we abide in him. And the Bible says that when that happens, when, when you repent and believe, when you receive that gift of repentance, when you receive that gift of faith, when you receive it, when that happens in your life, the Bible says instantaneously you go from being an enemy of God to the family of God. And all that freedom that I talked about is yours. And all that righteousness I talked about is yours. And all the stuff that I said before wasn't for you suddenly now, it and so much more is for you. 
But more than all of that, I think what you need to hear is that he becomes for you. Not just for you in the sense of on your team. No, no, no. He becomes the very drive of your life. He becomes your everything. And you have unfettered, unlimited, unrestricted access to him. And the reality is this, beloved. He and only he can satisfy the longing of your soul. you're here and you've never repented and believed, I'm pleading with you to do it. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm not going to ask you to bow your eyes and close your head. I'm not going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask, I'm going to plead with you to do what you are capable of doing in this moment and you've never been capable of before and that is cry out to him and receive that gift. You don't need magic words from me. You don't need any. You need to cry out with your own heart, with your own mind, with your own life. Cry out to him. Because he's the only one who can save you. I can't save you. No one else in this room can save you. But he saves you. We're going to move into our response. We respond through celebration, contemplation, communion. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I believe this moment in our service is the most vital moment in our gathering together. This is not like, hey, we've got to get this done so we can kind of get out of here. No, this is the thing everything's been driving toward. So we're going to take time to celebrate. We're going we're to lift our voices. We're going to exalt Jesus once again. Amen? Because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. We're going to contemplate. We're going to take some time to let what we've heard, come on, begin to make that journey from just the, the squishy stuff between our ears to the squishy stuff in our guts. To get deep down into the fiber of who we are. To wrestle with the things that we don't understand. Come on. To push back and hammer on the things that maybe we don't agree with. See if our hammer can change them or if that thing is going to change our hammer. Here's what I'm here to tell you. Most of the time in my life, it, it changes me. then commune. We practice communion two ways. One is communing one with another. We believe that we are not called to follow Jesus alone, but we're called to do it in the midst of family. So we have a, a group, some members of our family down here by this cross back here. If you're going through something in your life and you, you need to see God move in your life, you need a reminder of God's goodness in your life, they would love the opportunity to stand with you, pray with you, believe God. We know this, that when we pray, stuff happens. Amen? Because God hears us. And God's a God who responds to his people. So they would love to stand with you and pray with you regardless of your need, regardless if you're a Christian or not. They would love to pray with you. They would love to see God move in your life. So you can make your way once the response starts. You can make your way over there and let them pray for you. They'd be happy to do that. The other way we commune is through the, the, the Lord's table. We practice communion every time we gather together as a people. We practice by method known as antiquation where we take a piece of bread dip it in the cup and partake. We have gluten-free available on these white tables in the end. If you're not comfortable taking communion this way in this season, we understand that, so we do have cured communion on tables in the back of the room that you can go, a little pre-packaged communion. We, we have those available if you need them. If not, we would, we would welcome you to partake here. We want to make it clear these tables are open to all who've put their faith in Jesus. If you're a Christian, we would welcome you to the table. It's a family meal, amen? But if you're not, if you're just still here and you're exploring what this whole Jesus Church Christian thing is, you don't need to come forward and pretend like you're a Christian. You can hang out in your seat. Just kick it there. No one will even notice because, frankly, you're just not that important. So let's pray together now that I've 
uplifted your hearts. Just making sure y'all are listening. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning. God, thank you that you have made us free, that you have made us righteous, that you have made us sons. Thank you that you've given us a role to play in filling not only this planet, but yes, truly all of creation with your glory and with your goodness. God, I pray that this would be a day where creation gets its prayer, its cry a little more answered, where the cosmos is filled a little more with your glory. God, let us be a people used by you to fill the earth, to fill the cosmos with your glory. Grant repentance and faith today. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, church, let's respond to the Lord.